Welcome to Jeff's World with Jeff Stein, the show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. Because in Jeff's World, we never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. You know, in politics, uh, democracy geeks like us, uh, we often like to define the population in a few different categories. We're always analyzing the electorate, analyzing the population, right? And the four divisions I like to use are, are there's the leaders, the loudmouths, the informed, and the indifferent. <laughs> and that covers most of the categories. I'm Jeff Stein. That's Erica Ferriston giggling there. Hello. She's, uh, <laughs> uh, we're so excited that you're listening today. Who uh, am I, a loudmouth? <laughs> You're like, which one am I? <laughs> Clearly not the indifferent. Uh, and, you know, again, leaders, loudmouths, informed and indifferent. The loudmouths, but it's different because right now the loudmouths are insane. There's always been loudmouths, but right now they're verifiably, verifiably, certifiably insane. And the informed folks of the electorate, those folks who would you know pay attention, they read the newspaper, they like to make a vote with a, with a conscience, are confused. <laughs> and the indifferent are disgusted. And so it changes everything. And so the leaders, I think, are putting their heads down and carefully considering the steps forward uh, while trying to calm people down. So who they, are the leaders? That's the question. Exactly. Who are the leaders? Well, we are the leaders we're looking for. And when we think of leaders, we think of somebody who's in elected office. But that's the other part, I think, of the paradigm of what we're sitting in right now is the leaders are not in elected office. <laughs> They're the well, ones that actually, are, they are. There's the leader of the petroleum industry in elected <laughs> office. There's the leaders of Wall Street in elected office. That is true. Um, yeah. In fact, did you see the tiebreaker Pence just broke? <sighs> Where people can no longer uh, sue banks. Yeah, they are. For, yeah, four star arbitration. No, thank you. This is big breaking news. They did it with a 50 50 tie in the Senate to kind of dismantle the part of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Board Bureau, that uh, allows creditors, folks like us, to use class action lawsuits against banks or to when banks are in massive fraud, AKA Wells Fargo, right? We right. watched that parade of absolute fraud, and that was forced into arbitration under most circumstances. But, uh, th- but of course, the, the Obama administration put in laws to protect individuals. Well, they just reversed that. Mike so Pence now they can completely lie, cheat, steal, and rob you blind, which they have <laughs> been doing. And when they get caught, thanks to Pence and yeah. this Congress, you can do nothing about it. You know what I say, people? Pull your money from the banks. If you are a member of a credit union, go put your money in a credit union. You'll get a like a credit union, by the way. My money's in a credit union, at least the I have my money in a credit union. You know, with investments and stuff, obviously, you have to have another funds. But the, uh, yeah, try a credit union. You'll be surprised. The mom and pop factor you're going to love. You know, not to disparage Chase or Bank of America, but even the VA, their credit union is incredible. And I think if you have. Even if it was a grandparent who was a member of the armed services, you're eligible to do your banking at that credit union. Yeah, and be known that you know most credit unions don't require a particular. They'll say they have to be a resident of the town. It's usually a pretty easy uh, hurdle 
to do. And you can't do all large businesses in credit union. That's the other law about credit unions. So if you have a big company and you want to put it in your credit union, you have to still use regular banks. But other than that, if you're a regular folk, like I certainly think I am. And that's why we should have a state bank right here in California, the yeah? way they do in North Dakota. Oh, I don't know about this. Gavin Newsom um, is in support of having a state bank. He's running for governor. Wow. Well, yes. Yeah. We're going to hear so, a lot about Gavin Newsom as we get closer to that, too. And he is, uh, but the other thing about the, the banking thing you just talked about that passed, let it be known for the record that Bob Corker, John McCain, and Jeff Flake, who we're going to talk about a lot in the show today, all voted for that. I believe all three of them voted for that. Yeah, boo, 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 hiss. Uh, and, And I don't even, there's just no way to explain that except to say that you are favoring the financial convenience of banks over the rights of banker, of bankies, <laughs> of, of banker, Client, the people. individuals, the people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have to put our money in banks unless, I mean, obviously there are the credit unions, but. Yeah. It's, and arbitration almost always favors the, the bigger institutions. That's why they love it. It's cheaper and they invariably, you know, go towards, their rulings go towards uh, that direction. So, yes, that happened today, which sucks. That's an example of how the justice system works for the wealthy. <laughs> yeah, and we're learning it firsthand right now. And so that's part of that insanity that, that, that we're having to deal with. And the loudmouths are making it about other things. The informed are trying to figure these things out. And thank God, I think a lot of the informed are figuring out it, even though it is confusing. And the indifferent are just throwing their hands up saying, well, you know, we tried to uh, change everything and it didn't change. But uh, this is this is how it changed. <laughs> Today on Jeff's World, also, uh, I want to talk about the floodgates of revealing and healing about abusive power and sexual offenses that are opening wide. There is a kind of, you know, obviously, you know, the Me Too meme that women have been doing to talk about, or even men who have been, you know, sexually harassed in other ways. But there's another meme for men who I think are ready to acknowledge their part in unhealthy gender relations. What shame or fears that are emerging in both innocent and guilty men? Because even if we're, you know, obviously, if you're a very innocent guy doing your best you can, we're, we're all realizing things about our complicity, our confusion, and our earnest desire to respectfully proceed forward from here. So we will try to genuinely admit where we are, (laughs) big topic, then clarify our path forward towards a healthy evolution, as I say, steeped in authenticity and decency so that our intergender relations are benefiting our humanity as well as our sexuality, because we deserve both. That should be easy. Small, heavy, light lifting for the show today. Plus, the Trump administration's hurricane relief cronyism. They're already profiting off it. Russian collusion keeps accelerating. And what they're not doing, what their administration is not uh, doing uh, with Russian sanctions and things. The Republican Civil War continues, in, continues, including Corker Flake Gate. And how the chaos is inspiring a wave of purpose-driven politicians who are way overdue in our time. There's the leaders, I think, that are emerging. Stephen Jaffe. Stephen Jaffe. And a segment I'm looking forward to where Erica will give us her take on the state of the Democratic Party infighting. (laughs) I don't know if there's a better word for it. We'll say infighting. And uh, her day with Stephen Jaffe, who is the candidate running to the left of Nancy Pelosi against Nancy Pelosi, trying to unseat her. Which is wild. I'm so impressed because she's a giant money machine. And I can't wait to hear your take on that. She is a giant money machine. Uh, So we're going to do that. Uh, We also have a lightning round that is killer. It's very optimistic, too. You're going to dig it. we got some good news out there. That, and we'll jump right into that as well as the uh, Jeff Flake stuff when we return to Jeff's World.
stopping by. This is the mind-expanding experience known as Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferriston. We are uh, talking about uh, Jeff Flick and Bob Corker and what went down. Uh, actually, sometimes you just want to let the NBC give a little wraparound to give the, uh, you know, let the news do, it, do the intro the best here. We must be unafraid to stand up and speak out as Jeff if Flick. our country depends on it. Because it does. In a remarkable, relentless critique of Donald Trump, Arizona Republican Senator Jeff Flake announcing he'll retire rather than keep working with a leader he finds dangerous to democracy. The principles that underlie our politics, the values of our founding, are too vital to our identity and to our survival to allow them to be compromised by the requirements of politics. Because politics can make us silent when we should speak, and silence can equal complicity. I have children and grandchildren to answer to, and so, Mr. President, I will not be complicit or silent. The senator's voice, thick with emotion. When we remain silent and fail to act, when we know that silence and inaction is the wrong thing to do because of political considerations, because we might make enemies, because we might alienate the base, we dishonor our principles and forsake our obligations. Those things are far more important than politics. If we simply become inured to this condition, thinking that it is just, it is just politics as usual, then heaven help us. Without fear of the consequences and without consideration of the rules of what is politically safe or palatable, we must stop pretending that the de degradation of our politics and the conduct of some in our executive branch are normal. They are not normal. No. And neither was today. Extraordinary on every level as a political earthquake shakes the GOP so hard it's splintered. It's not just Flake. Another retiring Republican, Senator Bob Corker, is now accusing the president of debasing the U.S. on the world stage. I don't think there's any question, but that's the case just in the way that he conducts himself and and goes to such a low level. Corker never called Donald Trump a liar, but suggested he is, capping a morning in which the president slammed the head of the Foreign Relations Committee as a lightweight and incompetent. By lunchtime, as the president visited Capitol Hill, some senators had popcorn ready for a show, but Corker and the president never talked. <laughs> so what was your gut reaction, Erica Ferriston, <laughs> when you heard that Flake was retiring? And then you blasted uh, Trump. Obviously, you're thrilled that Flake is retiring. But <laughs> the, uh... you know, I mean, I appreciate that he spoke his truth on the way out the door. <laughs> right. But but it's on the way out the door. You know, I think that he looked at um, you know his electoral the, prospects. Yes, and decided that he could not win re-election. Yeah. And so, but, you know, had he been able to win re-election, would he be saying, would he be making these statements? I mean, I think, um, you know, Seth Meyers, a little, too little, too late. So I, I, I'm stuck between that. Like, I do want to applaud him for saying something yeah. and give him that credit. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, we, that's not leadership. Yeah. We need people to stand up and say the truth when it's really hard to. And of course, he he did say he was. And first of all, for some things, for the record, um, this were, these weren't one-off comments. He did a 17-minute speech on the Senate floor. Jeff Flake did, and I'll tell you, not only was it a, a, it's a piece of history, 
And that was not argued. It was a piece of history. People kept saying afterwards, we're going to look back on this as one of those kind of Watergate kind of moments, Watergate watershed moments. And that right off the top was good. Secondly, both he and Bob Corker went on the circuit. I mean, they went to every, they're not, they didn't just say a one-off. This wasn't just some random comment. They committed to making this point. So I felt like, okay, that's standing in some of their integrity. Um, but then there was this criticism, right? That, oh, you're leaving, you're on your way out. And I'm, I'm torn on that because on the one hand, right, they should stand and try to stand their truth and fight it. But at the same time, they also realize that Jeff Flakes expects to lose to chemtrail Kelly Ward, who is this hyper whack job Arizona candidate who has been running and losing continually. But now that she has the backing of Steve Bannon, billionaire Rob Mercer and Donald Trump. There's every expectation that the base will line up. And Jeff Flake lamented, as does Bob Corker, that we've created a primary system where the most rabid of the rabid. And here's where I say the loudmouths have become insane and the leaders are quieted. And so there was an expectation he won't survive. And he said his explanation was, I would have to go so far to out of sight of my principles to be able to survive the primary. Yeah, I I mean, my take on this is, this is not the fault of having a primary. In a democracy, people have a right to run for political office. So, and you know, just because you've been, you know, senator and you're the anointed one of the party, doesn't mean that people can't challenge you. So I, I reject that. I think primaries are democratic. Yeah. The problem that you're talking about is money in politics. Yes. The only reason why Crazy Pants is going to beat him is because Bob Mercer is one of their one of the 16th richest families in the country. Yeah. And and Bob Mercer and Steve Bannon. I mean, they're, they're you know, in, they're they're besties now. So that's the undue influence of money and politics. So if you want to solve that problem, and yes, they created that problem called Citizens United. Yeah. So that is on them. Yes, it is. But it's not because uh, somebody decides to challenge an elected official in a democratic uh election of course because what uh, people should be able to primary and run in elections right and so i had the same question that we're having now i wanted to set that up because i said well okay well what is if jeff flake or bob corker stood and and you know and and wherever the stand and the winds that followed what would that look like and to me it only goes one of two ways either they run as an independent and say, I'm going to use my considerable political capital. And Jeff Flake is somebody who I have great um, recognition of his courage and his authenticity, but his policies are so far out of anything that I would ever agree with. He's as right wing as he's he's to the right of the Tea Party. <laughs> okay, as is Bob Corker to a Whoa. large degree. And. And so it's astonishing that he wouldn't be an incredibly popular person. So what he what they could have done is stayed in and basically either been a spoiler and say, I'm going to keep Kelly Ward out. Not that she's going to she'd lose anyway, because she'll lose to the Democrat almost certainly, unless the Democrats a turd. I forgot who's running again this year. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm escaping to me, too. So do cinema. Oh, Christine Cinema. Thank you. My brother Eric Stein is in here, and he's actually uh, he's been, been fun literally fact that's his brother. That's right, literally, my brother Eric Stein. He's fun fact boy, boy apparently. So, thank you. If you have any more fun facts, you just wave, and we'll uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, 
if he stayed in there, then he would, in theory, you know, sabotage the Republican Party. So I guess maybe he doesn't want to stand under that wind. But it would be a way for him to be in his true principles. And he might win. Exactly. He might win. So what I was going to say is, you know, to me, if you're really a leader and you're running because you believe in something, you stand for something... Of course you want to win. We all want to win. And of course, everyone wants it back a winner. But my God, if you just quit and run the... I mean, you're just handing it to, yeah. to them. So again, he fails in leadership. And you know the statistic. You probably even have a number almost in your head, unless you could guess one. What percentage of politicians won their first race? Or, you know, it's never. It's so low. It, and, and so that you, you lose races. That's part of the game. Yeah, like get he, in there and run, you wimp. Yeah, Jeff Flake could have run. And you know what? He They elected him before. You know, it's not like he was an Arizona senator, so he did do that part. You know, he could win again. And obviously Bob Corker had great popularity prior to, and there would be, you, you never know. But I what mean, happens is by him not running... He's putting the tribalist Republicans in a position of no choice but to vote for right. crazy pants because, right. um, you know, they're they're not going to they're Democrat. not going to vote the Democrat because right. <laughs> they would rather you know hell freeze over than that. The tribalists, so, sorry, like you said, the tribalists, yeah. And now Joe Scarborough, remember him? He famously dropped his Republican. Morning Joe. Yes, Morning Joe dropped his Republican affiliation, and then recently, about it was a couple three weeks ago, officially signed up as an independent. And I think that's the that's the path that Bob Corker and Jeff Flake could have followed, and mm-hmm. they would have kept their integrity. They could have raised the money. And they could have also proven to themselves and to their electorate, which you know so well, Erica, is that we are now in a wave of candidates appearing and surviving on small donations. You can do it. It's it hard, but you can do it. You can do it. And even if you don't, you don't have to do it inclusive, exclusively, but it is well within the possibility. Somebody like those guys with that kind of experience and um you know, long term being elected, they they could they could definitely go against, you know, even Bob Mercer money. I mean, they're the best ones to give somebody like that a run for their money. Just a grassroots candidate. It's it's going to be tough. But that's why I love grassroots candidates, because they're like, you know, what? I'm going to do it anyway. And they do. Yeah, they do. I was trying to find a recent study on uh, the effect of money on politics, because what I've read in the past has been that money doesn't always buy the elections. Of course, we have our best example here of Meg Whitman, who spent $200 million to try to beat Jerry Brown. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do that. Simpson voice. (laughs) And so, you know, it doesn't always work. Now, they say that money can definitely sway an election election that's within five points you know that's where it gets ugly but on these elections where they're super turds it's not enough but that's my point so jeff flake it's really about name recognition so so jeff flake has a name bob corker has a name he was they're known in their communities and that's mostly the name of the game you know and and so what that money does is it gets you on commercials and it gets your name out there so that's why a jeff flake could do it whereas you know just you know your local i don't know grassroots activists up against that kind of money now that's really hard because people don't know 
about that person. Yeah. Name recognition is everything, as you know. It's a big, big deal. So. And they got it. Run with it. Go for it, man. I'm, you know, if it, but that that shows what a, a Republican civil war is going on. Because under other circumstances, if we were in a normal, again, not an insane place like we're in right now, where they're having this this purity. Uh, I remember the scene from if you ever saw the movie Braveheart with Mel Gibson. Uh, there's a moment when he gets betrayed by the other Scottish lords, and he goes on a killing spree. <laughs> And he starts Steve Bannoning every Scottish lord he can cut their head off. It's, you know, it's this wicked. <laughs> and that's kind of where the Republican Party is right now. They're on this killing spree. But if it hadn't been for that, I would have expected to see a draft corker, you know, campaign or a draft flake campaign where they would have where, where grassroots folks would have stepped up and said, dude, runners and independent will get behind you. But there there's just none of that because they're so happy to jump on the tribalism crazy. And you're not going to get any help from Fox News. Uh, which would normally, obviously, you know, the, the media is a big part of it, especially the partisan media, whether it's MSNBC or Fox News, and they're not going to get on board because they're not going to defend this guy. They're just going to talk about, oh, wow, what's Trump going to do? Spe- right. You know, speaking of which, uh, Hallie Jackson, NBC News, she did another thing where she uh, uh, did a segment on Trump's reaction to all these GOP defections. By the way, I have a crush on Hallie Jackson. I'm just saying. I needed to say it for me. Here we go. Does the president feel like he's winning? I think he feels like America's winning. The White House dismissing the senator's stunning comments as simply petty. The people of this country didn't elect somebody to be weak. They elected somebody to be strong. And when he gets hit, he's going to hit back. They elected somebody to be strong. See the emphasis? The emphasis in the Republican Party is, are you an ass kicker? Not are you policy driven, not are you purpose driven. It's how tough are you? The thing is, is it's their asses that are getting kicked and they just haven't seen it yet. For example, that that vote to where, you know, victims of the banksters no longer have any real legal recourse. Y'all just got your ass kicked. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, by your by your, you know, your. Republican boys. And meanwhile, in Alabama, I'll do this real quick because we have a little more time here. The segment is in where Roy Moore is going against Doug Jones. Doug Jones is a uh, amazing the Democratic left because he's running on the principles. He is unabashedly pro-choice. He's unabashedly pro-labor. He's not equivocating and trying to be, with all due respect to John Ossoff, who tried to go, I'm centrist, I'm centrist, I'm centrist, I'm centrist. And he screams centrism. And the progressives were like, well, that's cool. He's better than the guy. But, you know, I'd probably grab five friends instead of one friend and go to the polls if you were actually supporting things that get me super inspired and super excited. So uh, when we come back, uh, maybe we'll just jump into that. Let's do your stuff, too, Erica, because we're, we're deep into the political, you know, uh, palace intrigue. And I love this. And then we'll save the Weinstein stuff uh, for a little bit later and all the, the whoa, the flood of self-realization in the area of our sexuality that uh, definitely deserves a discussion. We'll do that. That's what we do here, here in Jeff's World. This is Jeff's World, the purple state of mind with the amber airwaves of grain. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferriston and, uh, and also uh, Juan Velasquez. Thank you so much for producing the show. He's making it sound good. And uh, my brother Eric Stein here is because he's being fun fact boy. Um, <laughs> and, well, fun, fun fact, fun, Eric. Fun, fun fact, Eric. It's like a new thing. And and, and meanwhile, there was uh, Donald Trump was running around uh, trying to work with Mitch McConnell. And this was overshadowed by the same time. And this was strategic and deliberate by Jeff Flake and Bob Corker 
to go out and to counter any kind of Republican cohesion. Because as they met again and said, no, everything's fine, everything's fine, and they're walking out of the meeting, a gentleman, a protester who was in a full suit and tie, you saw this, full suit and tie, so he looked, so they thought he was just a, you know, a part of the news gaggle. So he was a good, uh, good little, you know, camouflage, camouflage in a suit and tie. He threw little, uh, like, paper-sized uh, uh, Russian flags at Donald Trump as he went by and did this. Here it comes. Trump is treason! There he is. Trump is treason! Trump is treason! Trump is treason! Why are you talking about tax cuts when you should be talking about treason? Why is Congress talking about tax cuts when they should be talking about treason? This president is fired with agents of the Russian government to steal an election. We should be talking about treason in Congress, not about tax cuts. I love it. And of course, they're dragging him away. Trump is treason! Trump is treason! So he was arrested. Yes, of course. I don't know what became of him after that. I'm sure he was just removed. They tend to just kind of remove you. Uh, maybe they'll give you a ticket or something. Uh, the Capitol Police isn't out of control unless, you know, uh, on occasion. Unless you unless you uh, laugh at Jeff Sessions, then you'll be in some serious trouble, right? So, <laughs> well, Oh, my gosh. That man has so much courage. I can't imagine. I and you've got guts. Like, you've got it. big guts. And I you... don't. I mean, I <laughs> the small guts I have to go out in front of the Pantages... And and wear a, a tricolonial. She she wears a tricorner hat in front of between the two matinee and evening showings of Hamilton, and so she can hand out. I hand out flyers on Senate Bill five six two, which is her. for single payer here in California, <laughs> and I invite folks to join the healthcare revolution. Uh, Free Senate Bill five six two, rise up yeah. and and um. But there was one time I showed up at the theater and there was nobody there. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I can't do this by myself. So I madly uh, Facebook messaging this guy, James. I'm like, you have to come because he lives close by. So he showed up and James has James always comes. So that's, that's like I have to have at least one other person. And it still takes a lot of. I don't know what the word is. No, but, but there's safety in numbers too. I know what you mean. You get a little right. crowd. Right. So I need at better. least. I need, James is always there. You seem less crazy when you have several people with you. Right? I mean, it's like you don't but feel like. But a lot you're... of times it's just James and I. So we still That's like. Cool. We still like. I love James. But I can't. This guy was all by himself. Yeah. And it was like the present. I mean, whoa! I can't like was he? I would love to ask them like, were your knees shaking? Were you sweating? Right. Were you nervous? Are you just beyond that? Are you just on the spectrum right, and none right. of that affects you? Right. But whatever you are, you rock, my brother. Yeah, you are no, our new hero of the day. Other heroes, uh, before I get into your Democratic stuff, the the Tom Steyer, you know, here in California, he's a billionaire, and he does spends a lot of money on Democratic causes, causes especially climate change. It's yeah. one of his big things. Mm-hmm. And so he's been running ads like uh, this one. He's brought us to the brink of nuclear war. He's taken money from foreign governments and threatened to shut down news organizations that report the truth. Join us and tell your member of Congress to stop doing what's political. And start doing what's right. Impeachment is the uh, words on the screen during that. He's pushing for specifically impeachment. He's putting his money behind any candidate who will who will argue for that. And I wanted to go back to just then he should support Stephen Jaffe because Nancy Pelosi does not support 
um, impeachment. We had um, a member of Congress, uh, Brad Sherman. Right. Um, you know, oh, right. that's my congressman, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a guy, John, who's running against him, which I fully support. But anyway, that's a whole different story. That's but okay. anyway, the point is um, Nancy Pelosi said we're taking impeachment off the table. Um, no, she doesn't want any Democrats supporting it because her logic is Trump is good for the Democratic Party in the 2018 elections. Does she say that out loud or is that, is that our theory? I'd love to hear it because I, I could see her not saying that out loud. But. Um, I did not hear it personally, oh, I but I think that was what she she told the members, the Democrat members. Right of the house it's off the table right and so so yeah i mean i would have to find out you know who she said it to but that this is the same logic that the democrats had when they wanted trump to be the winner of the republican primary right right. that was a good idea so so one i feel like okay so nancy pelosi so this is just a game to you and this is just about winning and the, to human beings who aren't worth between 26 and 216 million dollars they are suffering right now and trump is not good for the people and and if you know if you support impeachment you then you could not support nancy pelosi so politically speaking there are three paths to deal with Donald Trump, assuming you agree with everybody in this room who understands him to be an insane madman. I'll take any of the words of, jo- of, of Bob Corker or Jeff Flake, and I'll second that emotion, right? So there's three paths. There's the 25th Amendment, which is the removal by the cabinet. Again, a majority of secretaries, secretary of health, secretary of state, whatever. Okay. There's impeachment, obviously, which requires a majority process in the House, left then sent to the Senate and needs two thirds in the Senate. But the third choice that has been brought up, I'm so proud of the media in the last 24 hours, that since Bob Corker and uh, Jeff Flake made their big, oh, we're against a Trump thing, a lot of the punditry was smart to recognize that, well, wait a second, you don't, if you want to stop Donald Trump, that's what Congress is for. Article 1 of the Constitution, the, 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 the first branches of government are the Senate and the House. They are where the power lies. You can, through two-thirds vote, make him do anything you want him to do. You can easily nullify the president's insanity or craziness or whatever. So if you agree that that's a problem, you can deal with it that way. So now we pivot to the Democrats, right? And they're trying to make this choice. I think it is a little weaselly not to, t- to put, take it off the table. But what Nancy could do to win both sides is to say, hey, we want to take over in 2018 because we will be a check on the president. We will make sure that legislation occurs that protects the American people. And if that doesn't work, impeachment is a possibility, but we're going to try to do a check first. And then you can have it both ways. But to take impeachment off the table, it betrays, first of all, your entire base. Second of all, actually, a vast majority of independents who are scared of this guy, too. I don't understand why they're missing that opportunity. So tell me about it. And what's to say, like, I mean, so you trust her and it's like, okay, well, let's not do this now because we need Democrats elected in 2018 to be a check on the president. Well, if your logic is Trump is good for Democrats in 2018, well, 
ain't Trump good for the Democrats in 2020? So when are you going to step up and do that? <laughs> nice one. That does. It calls the hypocrisy into question instantly. So you met Stephen Jaffe, even through a fundraiser for him. You're just so classy. And he is running against Nancy Pelosi in that district. I don't remember what CA1, which was district that is. You know, 12. 12, the California 12. Uh, and it always cracks up me up. in San Francisco Right, the San Francisco area. area. I'm not sure where it reaches. Yeah. But everything is obviously very small up there because the population is so dense. And so Nancy, he's running to the left, presumably. I mean, you could say that, obviously. He's running progressively. He's supporting the 99%. Yeah, <laughs> that pretty much says it all. So, uh, do you like him? Did you, you love this guy? Tell me about him. I I really like Stephen Jaffe. Um, when I first met him, you know, I was not overly. I mean, he was such a, a quiet gentleman that okay. I was not bowled over with his fire. But the first time I met him after he spoke, yeah, because I'm about issues, not the candidate. And when he spoke, I was standing and clapping and then saying, I want to support your campaign. And from there, I did have um, an event for him. But yeah, so he's he is a man, a person of integrity and he has um, a compassionate heart and a spine of steel, which is a rare combination to find in politics. I want to hear more and about some of the stuff in the DNC chair and the purging that's going on when we return to Jeff's World. This is Jeff's World, the independent state of mind where we look at this gorgeous country and all its complicated glory and love her just exactly the way she is. We accept be impressed. We love her. I'm Jeff Stein. That's Erica Ferriston with me today. And uh, thank you, Juan Velasquez. You make the show sound good. This DNC, this is more fun. We haven't had a chance. We've been focusing so much on the civil war in the Republican Party that we've kind of been missing out on some of the good stuff that's going on in the Democratic Party. And and one thing my brother Eric made a point, he's not in the room to, to, to address it, but there was one principled Republican, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, he made a good point about them. And that's not just because they voted with, obviously, people on the left who were excited about the choice, but the choice is mainly that they went against the tribal instincts of the Republican Party who were prepared to destroy her. And even, as you know, you remember how Donald Trump and the administration threatened Murkowski with yep. funding cuts to Alaska um, to for her not, you know, pledging her undying loyalty. And Steve Bannon is running around doing loyalty tests and trying to find just the right candidates who will be absolutely pro-Trump under all conditions. And if you ever see a Steve Bannon speech, if you're not in a good place for it, don't watch it. You have to be in a very <laughs> neutral and good place. But you will see... The pathos, if you will. This guy, it's worldview difference. Mm -hmm. More and more, the Republican Party has been replaced with people who think this is a terrible world Mm -hmm. where everyone is evil. And the only way you're going to survive amongst evil, lazy, licentious, awful people is to be tough and strong and kick ass. And because that's the only when you're in terror, when you're in fear, you grab a bigger and bigger stick. Mm-hmm. And that makes policy principles lost. And that's why somebody like Flake can kind of get knocked aside. So uh, now on the Democratic Party side, I'm reading this. You forward some these articles to me, too. Thank you, Erica. Is the um, how Tom Perez kind of did a purge in some of the Democratic Party uh, le- leadership. The, well, he didn't you know, the kind Douglas. of. He, he did. Yeah, sorry, that was understated. <laughs> he didn't just kind of. He did. So much so that he purged the party of Keith Ellison supporters, Bernie supporters, yeah. um, pretty much progressives who who 
you know, support the FDR Democratic Party, right. the, the party for working people and, and poor and the 99 percent. Now, is there and he replaced them with these um, are the appointed positions is what we're talking about. Right. And was this an I, I'm sorry for not knowing and maybe yeah, you don't either. Okay. But was this a a one of these annual turnover things? Uh, because I know these things are, you know, done periodically by the party. And so was it changed or was this just a like, hey, we're going to get rid of some people and replace them with some new appointees just out of nowhere? I, I mean, I think technically as chair, he has the right, right. to okay. to put forth his own at large delegates. Gotcha. But, um, you know, he replaced people who had been there f- for many, 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 many longstanding years. Because they dared support Ellison or Bernie. Yeah, mm-hmm, pretty much. And um, and then, you know, he replaced them with anti-minimum wage lobbyists. Um, he replaced them Ugh. with um, lobbyists from Fox News, Sitco Oil, Citigroup made them super delegates, which means they even have they have more than just their vote. Ooh. They they have delegates underneath them, which they tell them how to vote. Um, and it's it's uh, it's hard to for me to stay in the Democrat Party at this point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this isn't just happening. So I can personally tell you um I was elected as a delegate to the state California Democrat Party, and um, they're, they're, you're basically seeing two factions. There are the people who basically are the FDR Bernie Democrats that support the 99%. And then you have basically like the Clinton, and I say Clinton because it's really Clinton that brought in the DLC, which is... When, Democratic Leadership Council, right? Yeah. yeah, which is when the Democrat Party as a whole started to take money from corporations. Yeah. It was always the unions that had been the base of the Democrat Party. And so it's the with the the DLC and the Clintons that really changed the Democrat Corporate Party money, yeah. in the 90s. And yep. their logic was, well, in order to defeat the Republicans, we have to take money from the same contributors they're taking money so that we have enough money to defeat them but the logic is flawed because when you have banksters giving you hundreds of thousands even millions of dollars you end up doing what wall street wants not you don't take their money and then uh put forth regulations on Wall Street. And we've seen that. Yeah. We we've seen that under democratic leadership, right? I mean, yeah. we've seen um the, the FCC mistake. become deregulated yeah. in yeah. the nineties. Yeah, it was Clinton again. I, it it was. I mean, we've seen this happen. So anyway. Yeah, and that was I, I so thank you for pointing that out because that was the big shift but that so killed it. Here on the local level, um the so I was considered a burner who got elected and there were about, I would say, I don't know, three, maybe four of us in my district out of a total of 14 people. May I interrupt for one second? Yeah. Just so you know, the, the, the delegates, there's three categories. There's the elected ones, there's the appointed ones, and there's ones that are just sitting politicians. Because they're, they're right, because they're sitting politicians. So, the, so those are the three different groups. So, so the public only really has access to the one third. That's right. Which is what Erica ran for. Continue. Right, exactly. And we're just talking about, so the DNC is the national level and right now we're talking about the state level so it's the same three but 
we're right. talking about state on the level. state level. So right. So uh, the one third of us are elected by the public. Yeah. And by public registered Democrats. Yeah. And if you've been listening to the show, you can recall that when Erica was going through this, the level of interest and turnout was many, many times anybody had ever seen yeah, in these last cycles. We had over a thousand people show up and usually there's 50. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I found out that at our state convention, the um, corporate Democrats on the competing slate of mine, they actually showed up to the convention early. I found this out after the fact. Mm. They pulled my voting record and the other burners voting records, and they were looking to see if they could make if there were any discrepancies wow. where they could Awful say that research on we delegates. were, you know, not officially <laughs> elected or something. Wow. And um, I was the third highest vote getter. Obviously, they found nothing. Right. So but so this goes way back. So you're seeing this is and then we understood that they were already organizing to get myself personally, as well as the other yeah. three burners to not win next time around. So they're really, so you see this happening on the local level and here you see it happening on the DNC level. And uh, you want to see that. So the other thing that was interesting, now what do you do to counter this? One thing that you, again, an article you sent me in New Hampshire, the Democratic Party chairman, Raymond Buckley, he was removed by Tom Perez because he was obviously too sympathetic to Bernie and Ellison. And he ran for the electable seats, right? And mm-hmm. then got back in, mm-hmm. which demonstrates, hello, can you, DNC, can you not see that? What the people want. Yes, what the people want. The, and that is awesome. But the chair and the appoints all the chairs of the committees right. and it's getting on the committees where you have real power. Yeah. So if the chair elects all the committee chairs that then elect the people on or then then appoint the people on the uh, committees. I mean, this is where, you know, it gets pretty inside baseball. But you you see, I mean, this purge um you know, it's just another, I mean, how do you say you're healing the rift and you're doing things like this? Like, I want to point out when Bernie, quote unquote, lost the primaries. And just to say, unfortunately, the DNC, they did, uh, we'll say, rig the primaries to favor Hillary Clinton. And that material was exposed through WikiLeaks. Now, you can say whatever you want about Julian Assange. You can say whatever you want about WikiLeaks. But but Julian Assange didn't make Podesta write those emails. Julian Assange didn't make, right. um, you know, what's her name on CNN? Donna Brazil. Oh, Brazil, yeah. Julian Assange didn't make these people do their actions. That's like... It's like if my husband is having an affair with a woman named Michelle and then accidentally sends an email to my friend Michelle that exposes his affair. And my friend Michelle shows me the email and says, your husband's having an affair. I can be pissed at my friend Michelle all I want. Right. But she didn't make my husband have the affair. He's when. So anyway, even after all of that is exposed, when Bernie Sanders lost quote unquote lost the primary he had said from the beginning that he would support the democratic nominee he did he supported hillary clinton he then went out and campaigned for hillary clinton yeah he i have burner delegates who were at the convention where he was 
actively supporting Hillary Clinton oh, sure. to the point Bernie Sanders did everything he was supposed to do as someone who lost the primaries. And what do we get? Just more purging Bernie supporters, purging Ellison supporters. I mean, you want to talk about like, it's like, how many times can you slap us in the face and expect us to show up? Yeah. For the party. Yeah. And, and you know, even one of the guys, James uh, Zogby. Yep. Famous he pollster, said, James Zogby. Zogby. Also a burner, but a famous pollster. Yeah. He said, I'm concerned about the optics and I'm concerned about the impact. Yeah. I want to heal the wound of 2016. That's the other thing. You have so many of us burners who have been trying to heal this rift and they're making it so hard. For example, on the local level or on the state level, we had a huge election between Eric Bauman and Kimberly Ellis. I supported Kimberly Ellis. You could say the burners were supporting Kimberly Ellis, although there were a heck of a lot Hillary Clinton supporters supporting Kimberly Ellis. Sure. Who, by the way, she supported Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So, And you had a ton of burners. I mean, you want to talk about unity? You had burners and Hillary Clinton supporters backing a Clinton supporter, Kimberly Ellis. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, when when those shenanigans happened and Bauman took the chairmanship of the state Democratic Party, you know, people were like, how are we going to heal? How are we going to heal? And I said, well, you know what? I know that we can heal this rift because I saw it in the Kimberly Ellis campaign because right. I saw Hillary Clinton and Bernie supporters working side by side for a common cause. I said, Back Senate Bill 562. Yeah, that'd be an And you heal. will have yeah. people on your side. But Bauman, Rendon, and even um, uh, Delay, uh, not Delay, but um, the guy running for governor. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, running for governor as... California. Oh, uh, not Newsom, because he's, he's running, but... Uh, geez, I'm, I'm having trouble anyway, there. Anyway, they, um, they do not support... Yeah. SB five six De Leon, Kevin De Leon. Kevin De Leon. Sorry, it took me a minute. They are, you know, yeah. they work as a team. Eric Bauman campaign. Oh, he supports single payer, and and he was paid one hundred and forty thousand dollars from Anthony Rendon to be one of his top advisors, and he told us he has the relationships to make this happen. Well, he hasn't used his relationship to make it happen. Yeah. And for the record, too, when Erica, because I know it's people, some people that are, if you're a Hillary supporter, you're hearing this, uh, you know, about Bernie being uh, dissed by the DNC. That was actually adjudicated. They did a lawsuit. And if you, we didn't talk about it on the show because there were too many other topics at the time that were bigger than that. But it was found by the judge that, yes, in fact, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC did activity to make it to prevent Bernie Sanders from having the advantages necessary to compete evenly in the Democratic Party. But the judge also determined that that is perfectly legal within this, the party. The party can do what they they can set their own laws, they can do their own thing. And it was and it was the judge felt it was it was not legal for the to intervene in party politics. So it was shown Actually, on paper that they that they deceived, but they were allowed to do it. There's a little bit of a, you're hmm. right, but there's just a little oh, bit dude. of a nuance there. The lawyers for the DNC argued the point that because they are a private entity, right. they have a right yeah. to lie that they have no obligation to tell the public the truth. So that is the DNC's own argument 
Yeah. That they are because that they are a private yeah. organization, they are under no obligation to be truthful, forthright uh, to the public. Well, that's also been found of political campaigning and speech of the Supreme Court. Went all the way to the Supreme Court some years ago when and the Supreme Court, of course, ruled and said, yeah, it's uh, it's free speech. We can't stop you from lying, especially a private organization. It can lie all at once. So they didn't so, argue that they, they were didn't the truth. lie. No, no, they said that we lied. We just And said we it, have we said the legal. right to right. lie. Right. And we have the right to, to rig deceive. it. Yes. We have the correct. right to do it. That was the result of the case that, they, that the judges said, yep, you're right. And they wonder you why their the, donations have dried up. Yeah. Well, actually, they're way ahead of the Republicans right now, though. Even still, even with all of this, the the Democrats are are getting way more money than uh, than than the Republicans. So whatever that's worth. But the Republicans just go to the same five donors anyway nowadays. They don't really. <laughs> they don't. They don't need to fundraise. You know, and the money they have been collecting in the Trump administration, as you know, has been going to the legal fees over one point four million dollars of of small of donations from individuals who said, "I like Trump." Have been have gone to his defense against Russian collusion and money laundering, which, uh, by the way, a lot more has broken there. They just uh, revealed that uh, Manafort is is being picked out for money laundering. So anyway, we're going to get back to that. Uh, I want to get to that. Weinstein, I want to ask you one more thing about where the on Hillary versus Bernie and then we'll get into because there's still a riff there. Uh, the Hillbots versus the Bernie bros, if you will. And we'll do all of that when we return to Jeff's world. This is Jeff's World, the place where we try to provide a more satisfying perspective on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, because it is all good. I'm Jeff Stein, and this is Eric Ferris here. Executive Brian just popped in, and Juan Velasquez doing the show. It is, it's the renaissance that is also the revolution. That is also the massive growing pains. It feels icky. It feels gross. But stay with us, because uh, you're going to look back on this. Uh, and to say, wow, it did actually work out. And yes, it was way more drama than it was actual problems. And they were correctable and they will be corrected. And one thing I always tell my friends who, who say, ah, Trump, ah, Trump, Trump. I say, you know what? It's not like suddenly this is the new definition of a president. So we're going to go, you know what? Let's just find another narcissist who's even more self-absorbed and clueless and incompetent. This is how you learn because you realize it's the same thing as after Nixon a whole host of laws <laughs> were created, including the special prosecutor law, which had to be recorrected because it led to Ken Starr. That that existed because of the Nixon circumstance. They wanted a special prosecutor that the president couldn't touch. And the Republicans went, ooh, maybe we can make a special prosecutor that he not only can't touch, he would just do continuous investigations. You know, this is going to sound crazy, but <laughs> we'll see. I think, you know, Trump is actually highlighting things that have been going on for a long time but when it's our tribe and when it's our person that looks handsome and speaks eloquently we dismiss it but there is a lot of this uh corporate you know corporatocracy fascism cronyism uh, cronyism been going on uh, in both parties um for a long time and he just is does not have the tools to hide it yeah i mean if you look at bush i mean come on the war crimes that guy committed and now people are like oh i miss him yeah he's like whoa yeah it's just you know he just looked more handsome and didn't really put it in your face more humanity (laughs) whereas this guy actually goes to the un and says i'm gonna wipe out this country i'm gonna annihilate it 
Right. And we're, and he didn't couch it in clever prose like so, Bush did. Yeah. On the Republican side, on the Democrat side, I think Trump is exposing things that need to be exposed. And hopefully people will continue to take a look and not put their tribal blinders back on. And I say that in the hopes that something that better and more democratic uh, comes from this, not just going back to the, okay, everybody, let's talk about it in code then. Right. Uh, let's smile while we go to war over here. Yeah. But, you know, make it sound like we're fighting for freedom and democracy, even though we're really extracting the minerals and oils from Afghanistan. Right. No, I think that's exactly what's happening is it, it throws it out in the big light of day and everybody realizes that, oh, that was going on. That's the beautiful thing about Donald Trump. Heidi Herman, we, she and I agree on that one point <laughs> that he's that he's a gift because he says out loud what everybody else was pretending like wasn't happening. And so, yeah, loud, I just so. like whereas I want Trump to be impeached for sure or whatever you call it article 25 or whatever it is out whereas I do want that I do recognize it's it's not the complete solution here no and Pence is is, is back to the insidious oh. version the version who will smile at you and then do things to destroy your children's health care <laughs> you know to so. right what like he just did with that uh banking legislation yeah. that protects the Yeah, he broke the, the tie to screw millions of Americans on to favor Bank of America, Chase, and Wells Fargo. Thanks. Speaking Thanks, of, our, uh, and, and I'm going to get right off this, but okay. the, um, you know, our Trump supporters, I, I always ask, how is your life better today? The, the, you know, he just put forth these tax cuts that benefit himself and his family and Wall Street that will be to the detriment of the working You want to classes. hear the counter? I know what they say, but yeah. Okay, yeah. I, you it's say, not Brian? a tax plan. It's a pro-growth plan. That's, like, that's, their, that's their Orwellian phrase. How it's so? pro-growth. Because it's going to give so? billions of dollars, uh, 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 totally a trillion apparently in tax cuts over 10 years to the top 1%. So that's nice. Put on the bill uh, on the credit card. Well, what I've, because I've talked to about three different Trump supporters about that whole yep. tax thing. And they do one of these, at least these three did. I don't know if every Trump spitter who's still on the Trump train. They will point to what, they, they do this all the time with a lot of different issues. They'll point to what Trump said in one moment as Trump's intent and then ignore all these other things that Trump actually did or signed or backed or agreed to. Case in point, there were many things. Uh, in fact, one of the, one of my Trump supporters sent me this video where this guy goes into a college and and tells people about asks people about the Trump tax plan, but calls it the Bernie tax plan to mess with people to see if they'd agree with it. Well, when he did that, the the, the, the deceptive part of it was that he cherry picked the Trump. Uh, meanderings, for lack of a better words, that were particularly favorable. Like he said, we should extend the t child tax credit. Well, this current tax plan that's going through right now guts it. He said we should help people with their mortgage and interest. They, he said these things in one-off occasions, but none of the actual legislation that's moving through is doing any of these things. So my Trump supporter said, says, well, he said we were going to do this and this and this and this. Isn't that cool? And I said, yeah, that is cool. He said that for a brief moment, and now he's back down and let the Republicans do a version which does the exact opposite. So they're just cherry picking. So which, they, you know. are, they are people that 
as long as he says what he what they want to hear, they don't care what he actually does. Or what he says 30 seconds later, which contradict it. But but basically, <laughs> but yeah. they're to them, his words are more important than his actions, whether the words are before Apparently. or after. So, um, you know, if he says, I- I'm going to, you know, support the middle class, but then actually does legislation that, you know, screws them over, they don't, that's fine because right. he said what he He's said. He's helping it. So yeah. they're, they're about words, not action. They're about what they want him to be in their head. They want him to be a winner. They want to see him as the, go ahead, Brian. I've even seen people make the make the claim after hearing the first statement, then seeing, see, hearing X, seeing Y, and then blaming it on the swamp. Right. Case in point, Puerto Rico, where they have about they they need hundreds of miles of power lines installed and Mr. Drain the Swamp has allowed Ryan Zinke his uh, Central Secretary of Interior to grab a donor slash old friend who has a power company in Whitefish Montana that previously had two employees it's a two employee uh, thing and they gave them a massive contract when we come back I will tell you the details of that if you haven't heard it, and it will curl your nose hairs <laughs> and your nose. And then we'll also move into, uh, again, the Weinstein stuff, because that's more important. That transcends Trump. That transcends politics. That's about who we are as genders, as an identity, and as Americans. And that's what we do right here in Jeff's World. listening to Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein. This is the place where we feelize our way to a saner future because basically life is about how it feels. Uh, That's why politics are so intense because we don't always feel really good as we're watching it. And if you feel better, you will move more towards your own purpose and you will be part of the solution instead of the problem. And I don't just mean feel better like I'm just going to ignore what's going on and I'm just going to be happy, 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 manically happy. No. Uh, You have to find a truth that supports your higher self, your better angels, and then that will power you forward. That's what Erica does every day. I love Erica Ferriston for that. One of the big reasons is that uh, we have had so much wonderful banter as she has uh, encountered uh, one, within the Democratic Party mostly, uh, one uh, controversy or another, and these strong personalities, and she's always seeking to find, I'm speaking for you, you can speak for yourself, I guess, a truth that that allows you to you know, pivot and work with people and lead them to, instead of being in a combative mode or trying to identify enemies, but rather saying, hey, here's what you really want. Here's your actual purpose. That feels good. Let's do that. You know, let's, Sure, we want to unseat Nancy Pelosi, uh, but sometimes we just get to scare her into behaving like a human being. Mm-hmm. That was a little strong. But because uh, that implied she wasn't a human being. But, uh, you know, and no, it's with the the thing with Jaffe and Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi has been there for, what, 30 years, unchallenged. So. And it to me, she's lost touch of what the FDR Democrat Party is for. She doesn't she doesn't represent. She holds herself as this national figure instead of. Uh, a member of Congress to represent CD12, which yeah. is her area. Which is one of the most progressive districts in the freaking planet. And, you know. And so, you know, I really, I mean, Stephen Jaffe has, is a, you know, his values are aligned. He's doing this because of the issues. He's not doing this to be a political climber and be House Minority Leader himself. 
he's going in there to, you know, vote for these things that like single payer health care. She will not sign on to Bernie's bill. She hasn't even weighed in on Senate Bill 562. And she, you know, he over 71 percent of of constituents in California want single payer now. If that's true, that in CD12, I guarantee you it's 80 something percent. Right. Exactly. Because you know, that is a district that's going to be even more favorable to it. Right. So anyway, but yeah. So, I mean, I am just I don't even know what the word like. God bless Stephen Jaffe for having the courage yeah. to do this. And I look, I think he I I he's got a great chance. Yeah, like, like it, it, you know, I, 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 he's got a great chance to come in the top two with her. Yeah. And, that, and really that's, be they, a contender. That's right. And you got to, you know, if he's a top two, which is how it works in California. If you're not from California, a lot of states are doing this now, which is the top two vote getters get to go to the final, regardless if they're from the same party, which has been a great way to reduce the partisanship. Because obviously, if you each, each party has a primary and the D or the R survives, then people are going to go tribal. But now, if you're choosing I between think two Democrats. Eric Bauman, as chair, is trying to do away with that. Uh, of course, yes. But Wonderful. Yeah. So, and and so Tom Steyer, for instance, is potentially running against Dianne Feinstein. And does he really want to be senator of California? Well, maybe or maybe not. But he definitely wants to make Dianne Feinstein uh, do some be aware of, of single payer and climate change. And and so he may make enough of an impact to force her to go that way. And so one more last thing about Jaffe that I wanted to point out because you told the story off the air. But you had a friend who you were inviting to your fundraiser, and they were like, ah, I don't want to go because. Well, because there's a lot of burnout among grassroots activists, and it's like, what kind of chance does he really have? And I don't know if I want to commit the time. And he said, well, just come and listen to him. Well, she came and listened and was, is now totally on board with the campaign. Yeah. Um, and so and this, the, it's, yeah. I wanted you to say that because I, that's the point, is that it, don't underestimate the power of inspiration and purpose. It's why we being for something that means something. That's why a lot of people that voted for Trump voted for Obama, you know, because he was right. so freaking inspiring that even though he technically didn't follow a lot of their ideals in terms of like, oh, maybe he's a little, maybe he's pro-choice. I don't like that. Or maybe he's pro-union. I don't like that. But he was for things and he yes. was inspiring. And Stephen Jaffe is for things. And I do have to say, so, you know, running a, a campaign is hard work. And so he had my event and he had several other events a day. And instead of taking a break in between those events, he came down to the Pantages Theater with oh, me. I love it. Mm -hmm. So And he, he passed out Senate Bill 562 flyers yeah. and invited people to join the healthcare revolution. Yeah. He and his campaign manager, <laughs> Lily. And I get it. How do you not love a guy? I mean, if anybody needed to take a break, but no, but he's energized because he is for. Yeah. He is for these things. And that's a guy that suits up and shows up. Yeah. Inspiration begets inspiration. Yes. And so to finish that story I mentioned to you before in Puerto Rico, this little organization, Whitefish, I think is what it's called, uh, Montana. Yep. Yeah. Two person. They had, they had two people on their electrical company payroll. Yep. Who two full-time employees. The only job they had gotten of any uh, state or federal level was 4.8 miles of wire that they installed in Arizona. And then suddenly, because they know Ryan Zinke, swamp, 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 and, Don and were donors to Donald Trump, 
They're getting a $300 million contract in Puerto Rico to rebuild 2,400 miles okay, of, of power lines, having never done it before. They're staffing out, suppose they're bragging about having a now at 228 uh, employees that, they're, that they've staffed up to. First, in Houston and Florida, 22,000 linemen have been employed in order to fix power lines there. And it is not on an island overseas, okay? This is domestic. So this is, this is going to go poorly. And this is a cronyism. And, by the way, one last thing, a little funny fact on the money. They looked at, of course, the, you know, the reporters, God bless the media right now, Washington Post, New York Times, broke down what they were asking for these folks to be paid. It's not even a competitive contract. They were showing how linemen, uh, the person puts, you know, your average guy working on the line, line uh, $227 an hour they wanted allotted. Uh, supervisors, $340 an hour. Supervisors among them, $380 an hour. Now, of course, that hourly wage also includes some infrastructure parts to it, but they're probably going to give these guys $100 an hour, which is great and wonderful, and then pocket the rest, you know? And so it's not, it's even, and that's a way higher bid than there's no other bids because they'd even take any other bids, but the normal order of work, they did the research, and it doesn't usually cost that much. But you talk measure. about the swamp and cronyism. I mean, and this is what Trump is supposed to be against. Yeah, I know. And, and he, I mean, this is what um, Naomi Klein terms disaster capitalism. Disaster, remember that book, yeah. And this is for real. You yeah. have right now, so 80% of Puerto Rico still has no electricity. About a quarter of the island still lacks clean drinking water. Yeah, leptospirosis is turning into a humanitarian crisis, which is the bacteria that lives in water supplies in their streams and stuff that everybody's having to drink. There have already been many deaths. There is, yes, there's been four deaths so far. And you have, we have seen on video... Where um, also you see where Trump gave Puerto Rico a loan. Yeah, not even a like, loan. Yeah, you know, Houston and Florida didn't get loans; they just got money. But oh, we'll give Puerto so, Rico a loan. The, so God. on Tuesday, Congress approved a thirty-six point five billion emergency spending plan to fund the recovery from hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria. So this is for All Texas, Florida, and Puerto Rico. Out of that. Puerto Rico was given access to 4.9 billion in loans. This is disaster capitalism, like vulture capitalism. You see that that the comfort, the USS comfort that's there, which can hold 3,000 patients, only has 16. They're not taking patients. You you're seeing videos of hundreds and thousands of pallets of food and water. In a dumpster or locked up and being guarded by Homeland Security, not being distributed to people, you're seeing Puerto Ricans in line for hours to buy water from the local store that's been marked up to like $40 yeah. for bottled water. This is disaster capitalism because in this country, profit is the almighty and nobody ever questioned it. Yeah, if you can get the price, hey, that just means you're clever. To me, you know? this is a type of capitalist genocide that they are committing among the Puerto Ricans. They are dying. They are dying from disease. They are dying from a lack of electricity when their uh, ventilators and other medical equipment isn't plugged in. They are dying of lack of food. And there's a plenty that you have 
all kinds of shipments sent in, not just from the United States, as I told you, that are guarded and locked up, but from everywhere around the world. And why? And this money is going to go into building hotels and resorts. To me, this is a type of genocide where they're getting rid of the native Puerto Ricans to be replaced with resort towns and and people who can vacation there. So obviously, I think that's a little strong on a genocide word, but I do agree that it's going to be worse before it gets better. Everything that everything I'm reading in terms of what they're actually doing to help There's is no, not going to be enough. It's going to get worse before it gets better. We're a month out. Cuba yeah. evacuated a million people by themselves. Yeah, they saved. You have. You have millions of people here who are suffering. It's tell that to the mother whose baby can't is can't stop diarrheaing and is dying. Yeah. And she wants to give her baby infected water. Tell her it's going to be worse before it gets better. I know. For these people it's the end. Yeah. It's unacceptable. They're Americans. Yep. Yeah. And I don't I mean to me whether you're African or, or Italian, it's not the point. But the reason why I say they're Americans is to get through this Trump supporting America first. Yeah. Well, this is America and it's being left to the very last. Yeah. These are Americans that you're doing this to. And, you know, your, your anger is, is not unfounded because they've even done a little bit of polling and asked folks, uh, uh, Trump supporters, what they thought of Puerto Rico. And they did. They didn't. Most of them didn't consider them Americans. Most of them didn't think that they were worth, you know, the, the deal. They should take care of themselves. There were several questions about what do you think, you know, they should take care of. And because Donald Trump said that they need to take care of themselves. And so they got on the bandwagon and said, yeah, they need to take care of themselves. So there's a weird little, not weird, it's, it's, it's a sick little genocide that, I don't know how it's going to play out, but it's, it's it's beyond tragic. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, These people that are saying that are so foolish because it's it's they're next. And by the way, they're not they're they're actually screwing with the Houstonians and the uh, Floridians too. Oh, odd little thing they discovered. Dallas Morning News found out that they were throwing random things that if you gonna when you started filling out your application to get money to rebuild your home, they threw in a clause that said quote. By, but that you sign by executing by executing this agreement below, the applicant verifies that the applicant one does not boycott Israel and two will not boycott Israel during the term of this agreement. They threw a a weird clause into the before we give you money, his Houstonians for your disaster relief, you have to agree not to boycott Israel. Is that pork barrel relief? Isn't that just crazy? Is that what that I is? Really? Yeah, pork. Don't say pork. It's Jewish. Um, it's just. Kooky. And the ACLU, of course, discovered that and also reminded people that that is an egregious violation of the First Amendment. And they can't Absolutely. actually make you they can't actually ban you. It's like one of those things where you when you sign a, a waiver at a, at, a, at a laser tag place, if you get hurt because of their negligence, you can still sue them. So it doesn't actually protect them. It doesn't it's actually, also anti-democratic. It is anti-democratic. We have a line. long history of boycott in this country and and it's First Amendment. Mm-hmm. The boycott is a key key part of the First Amendment, as you know. So, I, you know, I, and I and I know you said this off the air, but we're we want to keep bringing up Puerto Rico because you feel like in all this insanity and in the last tweet that we're watching, people are going, "Oh, is there something going on up there? Didn't, didn't it get fixed? 
Yeah, no. I'm really no. grateful to you for having the space oh my for gosh. Puerto Rico because, um, yeah, it's just not even, you know, Rachel Maddow doesn't have time with all her Russia stuff to talk about Puerto Rico. It's so thick. It's so much so fast. It, it's hard to even uh, know. I mean, there's a, a lot of I little stories. Facetious. I know you are. Because <laughs> she does. Because she can by, make By the way, she can th- make that $340 an hour equates to $707,200 oh, a year. Oh, that's a nice wage. That's a nice wage. And what's very, I find very interesting, I wow. want the details of that job, uh, of that grant, and where are they hiring the people? They yeah. could just go to Puerto Rico and hire people. Yeah. Hello. Why if would you not want to work employ the folks people. that are yeah. already there? Yeah. Duh. No, no, no. When we could sell it off to some, you know, some group that, would, that gave us some money during the campaign. So uh, speaking of disgusting, we're going to come back and do <laughs> the latest in our dialogue on uh, sexual predation and where we need to go from here, because this is going to be just as interesting. Stay with this one. It's going to be educational right here on Jeff's World. This is Jeff's World, the place where social, political, popular, and unpopular culture is seen through the lens of possibility and purpose. I'm Jeff Stein with Eric Ferristich and uh, also Juan Velasquez running the board. Executive Brian's in here. And uh, fun fact, Brother Eric has, has just been throwing stuff out. He's uh, amazing. There's how many, how many uh, leptocirrhosis cases? Uh, 76, 76 now in leptocirrhosis cases, uh, spirosis he just cases. Threw, like, I just want to say he doesn't have a computer or a phone on him. No, he's, he's not Googling it. throwing that out just, of his just, head. That's, that's how disturbing uh, his, his mind is so uh it runs in the family as you can see it's just we're just all a bunch Y'all of weird democracy smart. geeks i was gonna say it's better than pulling it out of somewhere else right. yeah thank you <laughs> I, I i cannot tell you other than that the dodgers won three to one last night i cannot tell you anything about uh the world what? series uh but i know i'm totally it was the hottest it. world series yes. ever temperature wise not just the button the men weren't just good looking Mm, well, they well. were, though. There is that, too. Uh, <laughs> hot men, hot temperatures. Yeah, the hottest. Uh, yeah, because it's October. Obviously, it's not usually that warm. And it was 102 here in Los Angeles. 104. You know, that could a... be the upside, right? Right. Like, now I'm sure, now I'm going to get in trouble for sexually harassing men. Uh, you know, this is, this is the like, point, right? But, like, maybe, you know, like, we'll just, they'll be wearing, like, little cute shorts and... <laughs> Tank right? tops walking around. You know, it's interesting about the the, the clothing pleasure. thing. Yeah, for 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 your pleasure. The, the interesting about the clothing thing because if you guys have watched the new Star Trek movies or even the older stuff. Uh, I don't know if you noticed one of the things they do in Star Trek because it's a future circumstance, right? It's future. Is they make everyone wear form fitting clothes. So to somehow, I think that's their deliberate intent to kind of equalize it. Now, the old Star Trek was short skirts on the chicks and dudes right. wore regular things. Right. But in the new Star Treks, they're all like, well, if you want to see the goods, you can see it on anybody all the time everywhere. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty clear. Uh, you know, so whatever that's worth, I think that's. I think I'm putting that uh, impression on them. Maybe I'm giving them more credit. What? <laughs> Too much? To boldly go or no, no? I don't know. I'll hold my crude tongue till the break. <laughs> uh, you know what though? This is this is the good uh, part of the discussion because we as an as a people have to find that balance between our humanity and our sexuality. Now, we have great examples like Harvey Weinstein to give us what we really, really don't want. Case in point, allow me to play a little clip of Matt Damon, who we've all been wondering, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, where, where, where were they on all this? Let me, here's his commentary. And I did five movies in quick succession. He signed me up for a three-picture deal, and I didn't work with him again after that. But um, I was there kind of at the, that was the height of his power, and... And what you knew back then was, I mean, you had to spend about five minutes with him to know that he was a bully, he was intimidating. That was his, 
that was his legend. That was his whole kind of MO. Like, you, you know, could you survive a meeting with Harvey? Could you survive? Could you stand up for yourself with Harvey? And yeah. the people who worked for him were like, you know, I'm coming here to make good movies. Miramax was the place, really the place that was making great stuff in the 90s. So when people say, like, everybody knew, like, yeah, I knew. I knew it was you know, I mean, A-hole. Every, he, he was proud of that. You know what I mean? He, that's how he carried himself. And I knew he was a, a womanizer. You know, I wouldn't want to be married to the guy. But like, I'm not, you know, it's not my business, really. But this level of criminal sexual predation is not something that I ever thought would, was going on. Absolutely not. I knew the story about Gwyneth from Ben because he was with her after Brad. Um, and so I knew that story. But I was working with Gwyneth, with Harvey, you know, on Ripley. Tom Ripley. Tom Ripley? We were at Princeton together. I never talked to Gwyneth about it. Ben told me, but I knew that they had come to whatever agreement or understanding that they had come to. She had handled it, and she was, you know, the first lady of Miramax, and he treated her incredibly respectfully. Always. Yeah, always, except for the part where it wasn't always. But, um, you know, this is is why it's so difficult. there's a lot of a-holes in Hollywood in general, in a general sense. David O. Russell is the latest one. The director David O. Russell, uh, Silver Linings Playbook, Three Kings, uh, American Graffiti. He is a famous, famously for being a bully. If you don't know the story of on three, the set of Three Kings when George Clooney had to step between him and some extras because he was just screaming at them and berating them and calling the names. And he famously jumped in front of him and said, if you could attack somebody, attack me, somebody who can fight back because these people can't defend themselves. And so that kind of bullyism is way too common to begin with in the industry. And then when you put in that sexual component, uh, a sexual abuses, sexual power, now it's not only criminal, uh, but it's it's and and now we're in this tide of discovery, right? The Me Too's of uh, I'm so proud of all the courageous women and men who are coming forward saying this occurred. Not so much to you know try to take this guy down or that guy down or whatever, but to to, to let people know how pervasive it is. I don't know that men know how pervasive it is. Matt Damon didn't exactly know how rough it was that was going on. Um, I feel like uh, yeah, I have to wait till the next segment because I want to play this one where the latest accuser that really goes through the anatomy of a sexual assault. But some of the other things that popped up, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino. His quote, I knew enough to do more than I did. You know, people are starting to recognize that. Uh, where are we complicit in it? Where do we watch it? And tricky things with like Harvey Weinstein is that there were enough women, enough or that means there were some women who were like, yeah, I'll do him for a part. Sure. That'd be fun. I'll give him a good time. I'll give him a good time. And, and then I'm going to make a million bucks or whatever. I'm going to get a good role. And they were okay with it. And that, of course, not to blame them. But it also further enables uh, him to, it emboldens him to think that, well, this is how it works, that this is the currency I have, that I get to do these gross things. One that just came out this morning was a sexual harassment uh, claim, if you will, by Heather Lind against 93-year-old former President George Herbert Walker Bush. (laughs) Amazing story. 
he uh, the way it goes. President Bush would never. Uh, he did a he did a uh, statement to it anyway. Uh, when he met her, she wrote, "He didn't shake my hand. He touched me from behind, from his wheelchair, with his wife Barbara Bush by his side. He told me a dirty joke, and then all the while being photographed, touched me again." Barbara rolled her eyes as if to say, not again. His security guard told me I shouldn't have stood next to him for the photo. This was this, her little tale of this sexual harassment. Now, to the former president's credit, uh, what else did she say? She said, said it was learned that her personal power against those who have wielded theirs inappropriately. It seems to me as a president's power is in his or her capacity to enact positive change, actually help people and serve as a symbol of our democracy. He relinquished that power when he used it against me and judging from the comments of those around him, countless other women before. What comforts me is that I, too, can use my power, which isn't so different from the president, really, and speak up. And the President Bush responded. Uh, through a statement, through his uh, spokesman, President Bush would never, under any circumstance, intentionally cause anyone distress, and he most sincerely apologizes if his attempt at humor offended Mrs. Lind. Now, that's not a, like a full-throated uh, apology, but at least it's an apology, as opposed to Donald Trump, as you may recall, after all those accusations came out in the Access Hollywood thing, he immediately went on the campaign trail and says, I'm going to sue them all. As soon as the election's over, I'm going to sue all those dirty, lying women who are just trying to get to my power. And at least. How's that lawsuit going for him? Yeah. Because the election's yeah. been over. Yeah, not so much. It's not going so much. Oh, another thing he, he didn't tell the truth about. Yeah. So, and you, you share that. Another one that, was came, that came in the news was the Ellie Wiesel story. Ellie Wiesel is a famous uh, Jewish speaker, author, uh, lecturer. He was a Holocaust survivor. He died just last year at 87. And it tells the story of this 19-year-old girl who she's admitted, she says even looks like she's 13 or younger. She looks very young. And he was at a par- she was at a party uh, where he was speaking. And they were doing this group photo, and he was already—he was kind of flirting with her the whole night, which she felt she felt a little uncomfortable by. But okay, that's well, flirting is fine. And then they did this final photo, and he's in the middle because he's the keynote speaker, and he's surrounded by people. He jumps out from the middle of the photo, runs over to where this 19-year-old girl and her boyfriend are standing, jumps between the girlfriend and the boyfriend, gets her their arms around each other, and chums up. I mean, everyone's kind of like, "What's that about?" And then reaches down and grabs her butt twice, three times, and. She just was stunned by it, and she told this story to let people know this. How pervasive is this, you know? And and what is appropriate and what is not? Um, it's a big, tough one. Megan Kelly, Bill O'Reilly. When we come back, uh, that one. We also get to watch the meltdown of a narcissism narcissist. But I want to walk you through the process of um, of what sexual assault kind of sounds like from the uh, perspective of a victim, and you can judge for yourself. I think you'll find it enlightening because you'll be able to say, well, wait a minute, have I seen something like that? Have I experienced something like that? I wasn't aware of it. It's about awareness, people. That's the phase we're in right now, and that's what we need to get to. And we're going to get to that when we return to Jeff's World. Sound means the final segment of Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein. I always do a lot of the PBS voice. It's unavoidable. Uh, let's bring it down. Let's bring it down. Executive Brian is here. My brother Eric is here, as well as uh, Juan Velasquez producing the show. Uh, first of all, pronunciation. I didn't know uh, Ellie Weisel. 
Weisel? Weisel. Ellie Weisel. Weisel, help me. Sorry, I haven't met the guy. But everybody, everybody in the room kind of gasped because everyone yeah. has this uh, this Nobel Prize winner, Nobel Peace Prize winner. He wrote the book Night. And I mean, he, he, the contribution. This is what we talked Among about. Among many others. Last but. show about separating the accolades from the monstrosity, right? And, it, and it's like, okay, it's a butt grabbing. It's a little. It's not like you know he was doing what Harvey Weinstein was doing, but it still requires the dialogue where we have to say, well, okay. And I think even the George Herbert Walker Bush uh, thing is like, oh. There's this funny thing in our society that you get to a certain age and you get to be a dirty old man. Right. Because you can't actually hurt someone. Like like George Herbert Walker Bush or Ellie Weisel would not be able to hold somebody down and forcibly you know, rape them or whatever, nor would you expect them to. Whereas Harvey Weinstein can. Mm-hmm. And so I think as you get a certain age, it's like, ah, you know, and Barbara Bush is rolling her eyes. And it's a different generation. And I will give a little bit of room for generational differences uh, because they did grow up, even though that was an excuse, in a different time. But it's like when we brought up Hillary Clinton earlier, right? And of course, the right wing is going crazy on the Weinstein thing. They think, well, see, look at Bill Clinton. And then they cannot at all. In fact, there was a poll that was just done. I think we mentioned this before, Mm -hmm. that the majority of Trump supporters, 70 plus percent of Trump supporters do not believe that he did anything sexually incorrect. But but 83 percent of them believe that that Harvey Weinstein did, which was the exact same thing. Uh, so it your was friend that sent you the video of the guy pretending, you know, cherry picking Bernie Trump's tax, uh, tax plan. plan as Bernie's. Yeah. Why don't you send this, the statistics to that person? Yeah. And they, it, I mean, like, will it get through? It, it's um, like for Trump, they're like, ah, it's locker room talk. It's right. locker room touch. It's right. locker room kissing, whatever their excuses. But. Yeah, for everybody else. It, it's hard for them to but understand the thing is, the I don't think it. they really care about the victims yeah. a- anywhere. I mean, that could be the bottom line. They just may not care. Um, so I, I don't. I think like their mentality is that you know whatever. It's just women. Yeah, just boys being boys. Right, boys why, being boys. Why should I care? It's not me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's it's up to both men and women. I, men, I think, now are, are starting to realize that. I know I certainly kind of went through my life and went, well, okay, what have I done? And I think it's important. I think if you're a guy, uh, a heterosexual guy, or it doesn't matter, heterosexual, homosexual, go through your head and, and ask yourself, were there occasions where I did something that was unwanted? And when it was unwanted and somebody said no, did I respond? How did I respond to it? Because at least if you're you know, going, oh, okay, I thought we were flirting. I thought we were, the dirty talk was appropriate. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, and you stop. You know, Like I said, I brought up right, Hillary Clinton. you made a mistake. I think as soon as, I, I'm being judgy here, but as soon as I saw Hillary Clinton condemn Harvey Weinstein, rightfully so, the first thing I wanted to hear from her mouth, if I, I felt like if I was her, I would need to say it this way. I would need to say, you know what? What Harvey did is absolutely disgusting. In fact, I have some close experience with this. My husband used to have some very disgusting behavior, and he had to learn to correct it. You, know, you like have to say that elephant in the room, that Bill Clinton had to evolve. Now, we presume he evolved. Maybe we'll find out another, you know, some scandal that comes out of nowhere. But I presume he evolved after the whole, you know, Paula Jones. Well, there's that whole island that he went to. Right. He supposedly has this dirty, stinky island that he's going to with with Jeff, uh, what's his name, right, that that Trump went to, too, where they do do, uh, sex parties and things. And they take women and do whatever. Uh, Now, I don't know if that's true or not. We don't have anything to conclude to that. But my point is, is that... It's okay that you've made mistakes. Go even go through your own pantheon of experience. I know I went through mine and went, yeah, that was no, that was that could have been sexual assault. That could have been inappropriate. Now, 
uh, I feel like I went through them and felt like most of the, the people that I had the interaction with either uh, let me know that it was inappropriate and I stopped or they were, you know, it was a nice flirtatious, mutually consensual situation. But ask yourself that because certainly when I was younger, 20s, teens, I, you know, there's some stuff that it was like if I stayed in that behavior, if I kept on that trajectory and I kept indulging that side of me and I kept piling more shame and fear on top of my desire and then wove them into my brain so they were inextricably connected that I believe that this addiction, which sex is awesome, 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 awesome. And we testosterone bearers have a particularly high interest in it. And you have to reconcile that high desire with any shame, guilt, or criminality that you are also uh, connecting with it. And so please do your mental homework, ask yourself and try to forgive yourself uh, try to find, and maybe apologies are necessary uh, for people in your life. And I know they would be received well, generally speaking, I would assume. That's how we grow. That's how we Especially get Especially in things. the light of the news. Like if you found that you needed to apologize to someone, I mean, that was the perfect time. Right, right. Maybe that's another thing that Donald Trump teaches us, that we need to apologize for our stuff. Uh, so let me But I like what though. you said about... Mm. Um, you know, if you have done something, I mean, it's if you can't forgive yourself, it's that shame that's going to lock you yeah. into a pattern of not learning and repeating. Yeah. And the more you can uh, forgive yourself, possibly make amends where it is, the, the more you will be free. Because I was recognizing as I was going through, especially my hornier days when I was younger, I was recognizing that I didn't really have any you know, explanation of what to do with that desire. Right. I, it is extreme. I mean, I know when I, when my hormones were coming up, I wanted to be involved in women in, in preferably sexual ways in any 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 venue possible. The, the level of desperation, the level of fascination was so high. And combined with this just confusion and what do I do with it? And then you look at society who has all these different conclusions about what it means. And of course, it's you're bombarded with it on the television. It's like, oh, there's sex there, there's sex there, there's sex there. And you go, well, this is really, you know, and then serotonin and the dopamine and the oxytocin is just flowing in huge levels. And you want to satisfy that in any form. And yet you keep getting a narrower, distorted view and you just don't even know what to do with it. So uh, let me play this clip. This is, uh, I won't say your last name, Mimi, because uh, I don't want you know, people to start like trying to Trump supporters or Weinstein supporters ever going after her, but uh, she's the latest person to uh, to speak of her allegations against Weinstein. And I want to go through the whole story. It's kind of long, but it's worth it because I think it'll paint that picture that we can listen to and say, where have I, have I been in this? So listen for the experience for yourself in this. I was first introduced to Harvey Weinstein at the European premiere of The Aviator in 2004. I then ran into him again at the Cannes Film Festival in 2006. At that time, I was planning to spend some time in New York, so I asked Harvey if I could help on any of the productions that he was, any of his productions there. He said, why don't you come and see me at my hotel and we'll talk about it. So one afternoon, I went over to the hotel in Cannes where the Weinstein Company was set up for the festival. I was escorted up to Harvey's room by an assistant who then left. After a few minutes of greetings and normal conversation, Harvey suddenly asked me if I'd give him a massage. I said, no, sorry, I'm not a masseuse and I suggested he contact hotel reception with his request. He kept asking about massages, and so I felt the meeting was going nowhere, and I left. By that time, I was crying, as I felt completely humiliated and stupid for having been excited about meeting with him. 
To my surprise, Harvey did get in touch and told me he would arrange for me to go and help on the set of a TV show that the Weinstein Company was producing in New York. I accepted. I then didn't see or speak to Harvey until after the show finished shooting, at which point I sent him an email thanking him for the opportunity. Professional. He said he'd had excellent feedback about me and I was welcome back the following season. He suggested we meet in the Mercer Hotel lobby for a chat. So I went to meet him at the Mercer in New York, and on this occasion he was a complete gentleman and completely charming. A couple of days later, I saw him again at the Weinstein uh, Company offices in Tribeca, where I went to pick up something from another producer. On this occasion, we had a normal conversation. He told me about his various projects, like uh, the film Factory Girl and his plans to revive Halston, the 1970s fashion house. He also gave me, uh, he lent me a book to read, Tender is the Night by F. Scott Fitzgerald, before giving me a ride home with his assistant. So it gets normal, everything's fine. You know, this is the rope-a-dope, so to speak. You know, I'm cool, I'm treating you well. He then told me he was going to the couture shows in Paris in a couple of days and asked if I'd like to come along. He said we'd pro- fly in a private jet, stay at the Ritz, and go to some fashion shows. I declined, as this seemed like an invitation of a romantic nature. He didn't like that answer. He kept messaging and calling me and even showed up at the apartment where I was staying in the East Village twice in one day, literally physically forced himself in through the door, pleading with me to come with him to Paris. I found him overwhelming to deal with, and I didn't know how to shut it down, so I finally said, I'm not coming to Paris with you, and I hear you have a terrible reputation with women. That's when he backed off. I had made it clear I did not have any romantic interest in him. He got in touch with me again when we got back from Paris. Uh, well, when he got back from Paris, sorry. And uh, uh, he asked me to come and meet him at his home in Soho. I agreed as I wanted to maintain a good relationship with him. He sent his driver to pick me up. I was escorted. You know, because she assumed that no meant no. She assumed he was being reasonable. Anyway, because. up to the loft department by the driver where Harvey greeted me. The television was on and we watched for a short time. It was not long, though, before he was all over me making sexual advances. I told him no, 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 but he insisted. And then I said, I'm on my period. There is no way this is going to happen. Please stop. He wouldn't, take, he wouldn't take no for an answer and backed me into a room, which was not lit, but looked like a kid's bedroom with kids' drawings on the walls. He held me down on the bed. I tried to get away or t- tried to get him off of me. <laughs> and kept asking him to stop, but it was impossible. He was extremely persistent and physically overpowering. He then orally forced himself on me while I was on my period. He even pulled my tampon out. I was mortified. I was in disbelief and disgusted. I would not have wanted anyone to do that to me, even if the person had been a romantic partner. I remember Harvey afterwards rolling over onto his back saying, Don't you feel we're so much closer to each other now? To which I replied, No. <sighs> you see, I mean, that's... they, You know, that kind of sickness. And how long did Weinstein have to get that diluted sense of reality to get to a point where his power was so big and his shame and desire so intertwined that that got him off. I mean, that's why we're having this dialogue because this is happening quietly, both in the minds of the predator who's creating a narrative so insane 
and so unquestioned that he's lost sight of it making any sense anymore. And a narrative within women that says, well, you know, boys will be boys. I read this article about a woman who was sitting down with her other 50-something friends, and they're all saying, you know, men have needs, and you just have to let that go. And that's just the way it is. And I like to think that men do have needs, but we know how to do it without being criminal, and we know how to do it consensually, and you need to learn that and recognize this. And I don't mean to say, yeah, obviously Weinstein is a, is a, is a, is a stark example. Trump, same thing. These are the guys, this what the, these guys do this regularly, and they are the extreme example. But it's important for us to recognize those so we can look in ourselves and recognize the smaller versions and say, this is where it goes if you don't address it. If you don't think about in your head, what am I, what am I conceiving that is turning me on, is making me hot, that is not good for me or anybody else? And what is a woman am I thinking that I'm ignoring my friends? I'm not believing them. You know, I'm telling my girlfriends, oh, really? Was it that bad? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and or, you know, he just trying to, geez, he gave you a job. What? You know, I mean, he's a powerful guy. That's what they do. You know, um, this this discussion is not over. And I'm so glad we're having it, though. And it also shows this is how Donald Trump got elected. Uh, because it wasn't just on the right, on the left, narcissism and sexual predation was fully enabled and it was ignored and it was okay. We say, oh, I would never vote for somebody like Donald Trump who's an obvious avowed, you know, who said on an Axis Hollywood tape. Well, you wouldn't have had that meeting with Harvey Weinstein. Look it up. Look around. There are a lot of uh, very confessional discussions of, of male writers and producers who got caught up in the royalty of it all because Weinstein made their dreams come true. And made them millionaires and made them the love of the industry. And they all they had to do was pretend like he's just a sicky, sick womanizer. Mm-hmm. Like Matt Damon said, I didn't want to be his wife. But, you know, huge stuff. Whoa. Heavy stuff. We're yeah. going to keep doing this one, not only not because I want to torture everybody, but because this is, the, this is one of the topics of our generation right now. We've been waiting on this one for, I don't know, a couple hundred years at least. <laughs> Uh, and it's coming out and it's going to be we're going to be on their side it's going to be beautiful so anyway thank you you're beautiful for listening I'm Jeff Stein she's Erica Fariston Executive Brian thank you and Juan Velasquez thank you for putting it all together this has been Jeff's World the social political pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein